I want to let you guys know that before we get into this week's show, that episode 99 is a real thing. I've had people contacting me telling me that I'd never dropped episode 99 on my way to 100, but I actually did. I actually dropped episode 99 midweek. It wasn't a Tuesday like our normal shows. I actually dropped it early. So episode 99 is out there. If you haven't had a chance to listen to it, go ahead and listen to it after this show because it is a good one. This was all circulating around the base that a giant had been killed, but no one was supposed to talk about it. I saw three long bony fingers reach up underneath the door, curl up to grab it, and then disappear. When he came over to me, dude, he slithered over to me. And this giant comes out of the cave and they're all frozen. And he starts running and firing at this giant. Well, the giant moves. He's got a spear in one hand, and he's running really fast. And spears Dan and holds him up like this. Somebody else, shoot him in the face, shoot him in the face. They basically decapitate him. Got closer, got closer, got closer. When he got about 15 yards away from me, I raised that 12 gauge and I blow this head off. I feel something pulling at my leg. And I look over, and there are two small gray entities pulling it. And they're literally, I'm getting pulled off the bed. I reach my hand into this bush, and I touch air. Couldn't breathe, and I couldn't move, because I know I'm seeing a monster. to the show, everybody. You're listening to The Confessionals. I am your host, Tony Merkel. Thank you for being here. If you've had an encounter or a story you'd like to share with me on the show, go ahead and shoot me an email. My email address is theconfessionalspodcast.gmail.com. That's theconfessionalspodcast.gmail.com. Or go to the website, theconfessionalspodcast.com, hit the connection section, and you can reach me that way as well. Either way works for me, just get a hold of me. Now let's get into the Art Bell iTunes five-star ratings and reviews. This is for anybody who goes to iTunes and leaves a five-star rating and review. You get a shout-out on the following week's show. And this week's shout-outs is Coil1980, LumberZack88, BJ Lynch 65, Jared Robinson, John Lavier from Canada, Joe Telfer from UK, and JPD 6261 from Australia. Thanks for going to iTunes and doing that for me, friends, because it definitely helps the show grow on iTunes, which is the biggest platform for podcasts. So thank you very much. Now, moving on to the Patreon shouts is for people who go to patreon.com forward slash the confessionals and signs up to become a patron to help support the show on a monthly basis. And this week's shout outs is Sherilyn G. Andre Yu, Michael L, and Renee C. So thank you very much for going to patreon.com forward slash the confessionals and helping to support the show on a monthly basis. It really means a lot to me and it definitely keeps the show afloat. Now, before we get into this week's show, I want to talk to you guys and share a little bit of a clip that I heard this past week. Now, it was brought to my attention by a listener that I was mentioned on Clyde Lewis's show. Clyde Lewis has a show called Ground Zero. It is a national radio show that's played every weeknight from 7 to 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And Clyde was talking about Mars and things like that. And the caller called in and brought up our show. And they spent five minutes talking about an episode that we did here on The Confessionals. Take a listen. 
That's 888-673-3700. Let's go to Rich in West Virginia. You're on Ground Zero. Hey, Clyde. How you doing, man? I uh, I love your show, man. Thank I've you. Been for a long time. Thank you. You keep me up at night during the truck driving hours, you know? You bet. Thank but, you. Uh, I uh, stumbled across this uh, podcast on uh, Stitcher the other day, the uh, Confessionals, mm-hmm. and there was a uh, episode, episode 91, The Alien Abducted Time Traveler. And this gentleman, Tony Rodriguez, he claims to be abducted uh, as a boy, 10-year-old boy, and it kind of related to Captain K's experience mm-hmm. and, and the other experience uh, that we've heard. They were very similar. Uh, I just wanted to let you know, maybe you check it out. Um, there are other stories, too. There's Corey Good and there's Andrew Bassagio. They were uh, also allegedly part of some Mars plan or some time jump plan where they were taken to Mars and they were there uh, working on projects there. Yes, and this kid, supposedly he did a 20-year uh, service. It was a 20-year service. Supposedly, though, in real time, it only happened in one night. I, I, you have to listen to it. You have to check it out. But um, he also said that he worked with Marines on Mars. That's where he ended up at towards the end of his service. I think he did like eight years or something on there. Yeah, so I mean, I th- I've heard I've heard of military installments on Mars, mining colonies on Mars. I just told you about the bill that was passed during the Obama administration about Martian colony mining rights and things of that nature. I mean, it doesn't make any sense to actually pass a bill into law 30 years before it's supposed to be effective. And so that well, means... It makes sense you, if you have a time machine. <laughs> <laughs> well, sure. I mean, if you, if you have a time machine, I'll make, it makes all the sense in the world if you have a time machine, for sure. Uh, yes, yes, it does. And it, and it just adds to our... It adds to our discussion about quantum entanglements and what that entails. So, yes, I mean, I, I don't know anymore. I, I, I read this stuff and I say to myself, you know, the most outrageous things could be happening right now. And we wouldn't even know it because they have done such a great job of making it sound so outrageous and crazy. But it's not really all that crazy when you consider all of the focus we've had on Mars and in what's been said, uh, God, forever. I mean, I, I can go back thousands of years. I can go back hundreds of years. I can go back just 60 years. I mean, it's, it's like, uh, it, the buildup is there. Something I'm sure is about to give about Mars. I mean, we've, we've gone there before. We'll go there again and it'll always be there. Always. Yeah. And all these experiences that people have, they, they all coexist kind of. They, I mean, they all have the same kind of, it's almost like the same kind of plot line or I, I don't know. It's, it, I think I think it's a I think it's uh, not only quantum entanglement, but it's it's also cognitive entanglement because culturally, what's that? What are you saying? One of the things that he said that uh, when he got abducted, see, he he was messing around with some Illuminati's kid. Uh, I guess the father mm-hmm. came to school, something like that, and the boy was saying, "I can read minds, I can read minds, this and that," and. And anyways, he made fun of him in his head, and the kid heard him or whatever. He, he read his mind, and it, it pissed him off. Well, I guess he got abducted by aliens. Well, they asked him, can we hijack your consciousness for 20 years? Wow. And he agreed to it. And it's a fascinating thing. It's an hour, and, or it's a, 136 minutes long. It's on Stitcher. Right. Um, I can send you, yeah, I, I tried to send you the link. Yeah, Ground Zero PDX at Yahoo. It's funny you bring that up because there's been a lot of 
talk, and I and I uh, when I was at the DB Cooper gathering just the other day, we were talking about what is known as uh, the uh, hijacking or at least the weaponizing of consciousness. And I I have a feeling that with all of this discovery and what we're investigating now, we can say this. Whatever your conscious mind has not picked up on, your unconscious mind has. And so uh, even if our conscious selves don't understand this, unconsciously, somehow it speaks to us. And this is why the quantum entanglement is so important to point out, because unconsciously, I think we believe deeply that we come from somewhere else. We're not necessarily of this planet, and perhaps we're from the planet Mars. And that has been uh, the signal, or at least the message, that has been sent to us for eons. So, I mean... It's like, uh, it's like you said, it's like it's seated in our memory. Yeah, somehow, deep-seated. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. Deep-seated our memory, and, and culturally, we're conditioned to assume that this is where we are, and this is where we've been, and uh, and I don't know. It's it's just, like I say, the rabbit hole goes deeper and deeper and deeper as to our origins, and they may have come from Mars. The signal, the signal is from the past, and we must go to it and answer the call to figure out just what is going on beneath the terrain of Mars. 888-673-3700. That's 888-673-3700. Back with more of your phone calls right here on Ground Zero. Don't go away. Well, I'd like to say thank you to Rich for calling into the show and bringing up our show. I really do appreciate it. And it definitely meant a lot to me. I thought it was really cool to hear the confessionals talked about on Clyde Lewis's show. I'm an avid listener of Clyde Lewis. I love that show. And the fact that my show is brought up on his show, man, I just tell you that made my day. So I thought I'd share it with you guys and hopefully you enjoyed that little bit of a clip. But this week's show, we have Diane Student from History Ghost Bump podcast coming on to share about her paranormal experiences that she's had throughout her life. Life. And I was actually on Diane's show, History Goes Bump, episode 285, just recently talking about Penhurst. Penhurst is a mental institution that was around where I live, and it was here for a very long time. And when they closed it down, a lot of people said it became haunted. And it is one of the most haunted locations here in Pennsylvania. It's absolutely 100% haunted. And I'm on her show talking all about Penhurst. So go ahead and check it out, History Goes Bump podcast, episode 285. So after we talk to Diane, we're going to bring on David, and David's going to come on and share his Hatman experience, but also he's going to share about an angelic experience that he had with his family. So let's get into it right now. Okay, I have a special guest coming on here. We have Diane Student from History Goes Bump Podcast. Diane, how are you? I'm great, Tony. Thank you for having me on. Thanks for being here. I really appreciate it. Now, uh, I like your podcast a lot because there's not a whole lot of podcasts out there that are kind of going into the history side of things just as much as you know the paranormal side of things. And it really kind of educates you as it also fulfills your paranormal you know side that you want to get a, a little bit of you know education on. So, uh, how'd you start this whole podcast with you know history goes bump and and trying to find locations that you know are interesting to talk about but also haunted. I've been interested in the strange or the weird and the creepy ever since I was a little kid back in the day in search of was on and unsolved mysteries. And those were some of my favorite shows to watch. So I've always really enjoyed it. But I also was raised by a mom who was a historian. And so she taught me the value of history. And so anytime we would go into a city, we'd go on history tours or we'd go and look at all of the historical buildings. And so that really gave me a love for history. 
And then one year for Halloween, she said, there's this thing going on in Denver where they're doing a haunted house tour. And I think it'd be a lot of fun for our family to do that. And at first I was thinking, because mm, I, I really didn't like going to those haunted house attractions. I didn't like jump scares and things like that. And she said, no, 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 this is real haunted houses. So I was like, okay. So we went on this tour of these homes and you'd go into the house and they tell you a little bit about the history of the house. And then some of the ghost stories that they had that went with the houses. And I fell in love with it. And I thought, this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. So anytime as an adult, when I got older and would go to these cities, I would seek out ghost tours because for me, they seem like the best way to learn the history of a city because not only do you get the history, which some people might find boring, but then you get the seedy side of things. You know, they talk about the gangsters and the brothels and then the ghost stories that go with it. And I thought, wow, this is the best way to get your history And I got really into listening to podcasts and I noticed that there weren't a whole lot of podcasts out there. There would be some that would talk about ghosts and ghost stories and occasionally would talk about historical locations and a little bit about the history, but it wasn't really what I was looking for. And I was like, wouldn't it be cool to have a podcast that was like a going on ghost tour? And so that's basically what I started. And I call it ghost tours for the theater of the mind because back in the day they would call radio theater of the mind. And so that's where I got the idea for doing that kind of thing. And for me, it's very important to talk about the history of a location that supposedly has haunting experiences going on there because if you don't know the history, you don't really know why is it haunted. Because for me, I like to know the why, the what. I don't just want to go in there and go, oh, something poked me or I heard something that I can't see or saw something that I can't explain. I want to know why. Why did that happen? Why am I seeing that? Who is that? Why are they doing this? And and unless you really get into the history, you're not going to get those answers. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a very unique approach to the whole thing. And I don't think people think about that side of things. I mean, you can actually learn the history of places by understanding the paranormal side of it as well and knowing the history of why it's haunted, because usually those two tie together. Uh, what were some of the, your favorite episodes that you covered? Like, give me like an episode that you really enjoyed covering and, and why. For me, my most favorite episodes to produce are for locations that I've actually been to. Because there's people who will ask me, have you been to all of these places? And I'm like, well, you know, if I won the lotto, heck yeah, because I would love to go and visit all of these places. (laughs) But obviously, since I'm on a fixed budget, I can't go to all of them. But when I've been to a location, those are some of my favorite episodes to do. And the way I end all of my episodes is I'll say, you know, is this place haunted? That is for you to decide. So I don't tell people this place is definitely haunted. I leave it to the listeners because I'm an open-minded skeptic myself. So a lot of the things out there that you hear about, I don't necessarily believe. And so two places that I say definitively I claim are haunted are the St. Augustine Lighthouse and Waverly Hill Sanatorium. And those are two of my favorite episodes that I have produced. Okay. So, I mean, when you were there, uh, what was it about these places that... um led you to believe that, yeah, this place straight up haunted, you know, like you, you just walked out of there like, yeah, this place is haunted. (laughs) Well, you hear a lot of stories about both of these locations. And the interesting thing is, I think both of them will show up. If you look at a top 10 haunted locations, especially in America, both of these are going to be on there. And of course you're going to say, uh-huh, sure, whatever. Well, 
I like to do meetups with my listeners. And since I live here in Florida, St. Augustine is my favorite city. I visit there all the time. And so I had a couple of listeners that were coming into town and I said, hey, why don't we go and do the Dark of the Moon tour that they do at the St. Augustine Lighthouse? And the cool thing about this tour is not only do they take you through at night and you get to go up the lighthouse at night, they tell you the history, but they also give you some time where you can do your own little paranormal investigation if you want to do that. So we broke off from the group. And we went back into the lighthouse and they have a bunch of displays in there that have a lot of the, like the uniforms that they used to wear back in the day, show you how they would carry the oil up these huge flights of stairs because that's how they would light the lighthouses is with oil and they'd have to carry it up there. And they were, you know, these heavy things, objects that they found from shipwrecks that would happen around there. So they've got all these different displays in there and it's dark in there. And so you're kind of in there with a flashlight and I carry a little recorder around with me. And so one of the members of our group wanted to go back up the lighthouse again. And so she said, well, I'm going to go out and ask one of the tour guides if it's okay for me to go back up the stairs all by myself. So she walks out and the door to the lighthouse is, it was kind of cracked open. So it was left so that people could come and go as they wanted to. And so there were a few of us from the group that were still in there. And it was just the group that was with me that was in the lighthouse. There was nobody else with us. And I'm standing in the room with one of the girls and we're looking at a display. And all of a sudden we hear this like pounding on the front door, like somebody's trying to come in. And I'm thinking in my head, well, it's cracked open. You can get in. And then the pounding continues and you can hear that somebody's trying to get the door open. So I'm like, well, that's so strange because the door was cracked open. So I walk over there and I notice that the door is now shut and I go to try to open it and I can't get it open. And I'm like, well, that's weird. It's like it's locked. And there's this, there was this little gadget that was at the top that kind of looked like a deadbolt and it had kind of fallen out of the thing. And I thought, well, is it broken? And I'm thinking, oh God, the door's broken. We're locked in the lighthouse. So you kind of have this initial panic that you're having. And the member of our group that was on the other end is like, the door's locked. I can't get in, guys. And we had a big guy that was with me. So he tries to force the door. And my folks had come too. And my dad's a pretty big guy. And he was on the outside. So he's trying to get it open. So we're all trying to get this door open and it is not budging. So the tour guide comes over and and he opens it up. He puts the key in the deadbolt, opens it up and the door opens. And we're like, well, that was weird. The door was cracked open. And I'm thinking, well, maybe if the door happens to close, it locks itself or something. Well, again, this is a deadbolt. You know, a deadbolt doesn't just lock itself when the door closes. And he goes, the key I'm holding is the only key to this deadbolt. And the only way that you can lock it and unlock it is with this key. So, you know, it's like, well, what just happened here? I mean, clearly something locked us in there and it wasn't one of us. The tour guide was across the way. He wasn't anywhere near the lighthouse. And some of the stories that you hear is there were two, there were three little girls that had drowned in an accident here at the lighthouse. They were riding on this cart that they would use to transport material up and down as they were building the lighthouse. And it was kind of like a little roller coaster for them. And so they'd ride this cart down. You can kind of think of it's like a, like a mining cart. And when you got to the end, there was like this thing there that would stop it. And they were doing this all day long and they were having a great time. Well, unfortunately, the last time they were coming down, they got a lot of speed. And when they hit that thing at the end, they just popped right over it. Well, the only way to go was down into the water and the cart came down on top of them and trapped them into the water. And there were four of them that were actually on it. And one of the gentlemen that was a construction worker jumped in to try to save them. And he was only able to get one of the children out of the cart. So three of the girls died in there. And so they believe that these three children are haunting this location. And so a lot of the stuff that goes on here is what you would 
kind of call poltergeist or teasing kind of behavior, like locking us into the lighthouse. That happens all the time, they say. Or there was uh, some people who had been doing a tour once, and they were sitting on these benches. And one of the people got up as they were getting ready to go to a different area, and they took a step and they fell down because their shoelaces had been tied together. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Their Their shoes were tied together. So you're thinking, I mean, this kind of stuff just blows my mind because same thing with the lock. You know, I keep sitting there thinking at the time I wasn't, and it didn't scare me. I've never had a scary experience yet, but it's these experiences that make you go, how did that happen? Because not only are you thinking something was either in here with us and went somewhere near us because the door wasn't that far away, but how did they have the physicality that we saw nothing, we heard nothing, and they were able to lock that door? And if it's something that's locked with a key, how did they do it? They didn't have a key. So how does that happen? It just blows my mind with that kind of stuff. And it was the same thing with Waverly going in there. I mean, you hear all kinds of stories. So before I even go in there, it's this uh, building that just looms over you. And it just looks scary to begin with when you're walking towards it. So I'm going in there very apprehensive, thinking I'm going to have these horrible experiences. And I walked out having what I thought was one of the coolest experiences I've ever had that I'm going to share with you. And so you go in and you see things like the first place you go to is the body shoot. And this is an asylum where it was like most of them out there, overcrowded, mistreatment, and... um it was it was like a, a center for tuberculosis. So you didn't have a lot of crazy people in there. But one of the things that some people don't know is that you can get TB of the brain. And so when it's attacking your brain, you're you're going to kind of have that that breakdown that people would have that maybe they would seem to be kind of mentally ill and they would do like electro shock therapy here and everything on them to see if they could fix things that way. And there was a lot of other experimentation that they were doing. But you can imagine if most of the people that are in this location have tuberculosis, most of them are dying. And when you are in that kind of situation, it's going to depress you if you see people that are dying around you all the time. So they built this thing called the body chute where they would try to transport the dead bodies down underneath and away from where people couldn't see them so that they could get them out to a hearse or whatever was going to take the bodies to a funeral home. And so this is supposed to be a really haunted location. It's pretty creepy in there. I didn't have an experience in there or anything, but people have said that they've seen full-bodied apparitions in there. One of the tour guides said that she was talking to her group and she started noticing that their faces were all kind of starting to get this scared look. And she's like, is there something behind me? Because they all look like they're looking at something behind me. And she turns around and she sees this white misty figure coming up the body chute towards her. And so then she turns back around and she goes, I could hear all these feet like just dashing away. And she turns around and her entire group has just run away because they're like, we're out of here. So these are the kind of things that are happening there. So we go up to the, I think it was the third floor and we're standing where there is an elevator shaft. And the tour guide that was taking us through tells us the story that this building had been abandoned for a really long time, but there was a homeless guy that was living there. He'd been a veteran and he had a dog and they kind of took care of the building. They would go around and make sure that there was nobody in it. I mean, you can't really keep an abandoned building clean, but he just really tried to take care of it. And obviously 
seemed to have some kind of communication with the spirits there and and was very welcome to be there. And every so often you get these kids that would come in and want to vandalize things. And there was a violent group that came in one time and they started beating up on him. And this elevator shaft no longer had an elevator in it. And they ended up throwing him down it and the dog as well and killed him. And so it's said that their spirits are there. So this tour guide is telling us the story about how this guy has been brutalized and murdered and thrown down the shaft along with his dog. And all of a sudden I heard what sounded like audibly a dog whimpering. And when you first hear things like this, you think in your brain, okay, I'm just, you know, suggesting this to myself or hearing this because she's talking about a dog. And then I was thinking, well, maybe it's something else making that noise. And then all of a sudden she stops and she goes, did you guys hear that? And I'm standing there with a group of 25 people who all go, yeah, it was a dog whimpering. And when you have an experience that's mutual, just like being locked in the lighthouse, it's like, okay, well, I couldn't have imagined that if all these other people heard the same thing I did. Well, then she starts to talk a little bit more and you could hear this door at the end of the hallway slam shut. And as it's doing it, it sounded like there were these hinges that were closing, but it sounded like a dog whimper too. And so when the door slams, I'm thinking, well, maybe that dog whimpering sound that I'd heard were the hinges squeaking. And she goes, I don't know how that door just slammed down at the end there. We keep them, you know, so that they're stuck open with something to stabilize them and hold them open. So that door should not have slammed shut. And I don't know if you guys heard the dog whimper again. So I'm like, nope, okay. So now I've heard this dog whimper twice. She continues with the rest of the story and heard that dog whimpering sound again. And I mean, it was clear as day, Tony, as if you were in the room with your dog and it was just, you know, kind of... Wow. And so to me, it was a profound experience because I'd never heard anything audible like that that I could not see. And I'm sharing it with a group of people. So it's not something that I'm imagining And then you're like, I mean, you have all these things that start happening. Like, how is that possible? What's making that noise? And animals have spirits too. I have my proof. Because, you know, when you were a kid, you always have these questions that you want to ask the pastor that maybe not necessarily something that somebody with a profound belief would want to ask. But I always wanted to know, do animals have spirits? Do they go to heaven too? (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I actually just saw a meme this past week that was something like, it was like God talking and he was creating dogs and he said, make them uh, cute and cuddly because I want them back one day. And so it was like <laughs> that whole idea of all dogs go to heaven, you know? Yep. Yep. So I just thought, wow, that was that was just amazing. And so for me, when people ask, you know, if you had, that's like the coolest experience I ever had because I just walked out of Waverly instead of being afraid of this building, I just went, I just had the most amazing experience of my life when it comes to the paranormal. And the fourth floor is what they say is probably the most haunted floor in the building. And it's very dark up there and people see shadow figures. And I will tell people, I thought I saw a couple of shadow figures, but I'm since I'm an open-minded skeptic, I know that when you're in a dark room at night, Tony, you're in bed and you open your eyes and they're kind of doing that weird trying to adjust to the fact that you can't really see and it's dark, you sometimes might think you see things that aren't really there or maybe something in the corner, you've got a jacket thrown over a chair. And so it kind of throws this weird shadow and you're like, is that somebody standing over there? So these shadow figures that I thought I was seeing on the fourth floor that a lot of people are like, yeah, I see something over there. I can see a head poking out of the door. It looked like there were heads poking out of the doors every so often, but I I don't really claim that as a paranormal experience because I'm like, all I know is that maybe my eyes were playing tricks on me or something. So 
I don't know that that was going on, but there's uh, people who've claimed that uh, they've had all kinds of, I don't know if you want to call it demonic, but very negative experiences on that floor. And there were, again, some youngsters who came in that wanted to start some trouble and they came in with an axe and were destroying things and they got locked into this fourth level. And you can see on the other side of the door there, axe marks where they were trying to break through that door to get out with this axe and they could not get out and they were just terrified when the cops came in and got them. It was kind of like, you know, arrest me now, please save me. Wow. I mean, that's what you get, kids. Stay home and play video games. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And then up on the fifth floor, they had a ghost box up there. And for people, your listeners who may not know what a ghost box is, it's basically an FM, AM radio band kind of thing. And it's set up so that it cycles through all of the channels really quickly. Kind of like if you're scanning radio channels on your your radio in your car and it, you know, all of a sudden it'll stop when it hits something. Well, that's kind of like what a ghost box does is it's just scanning all of these channels. And then occasionally you might hear some words that are supposedly a ghost that's trying to talk to you. And I don't put a whole lot of credence into it because I'm like, well, you know, I know some of the words do sound like they're coinciding with questions being asked, but this ghost box said things that would pertain to the questions that were being asked to it. And it did say, get out. And it sounded very angry when it said, get out. So I was like, I think I'll go ahead and just leave this room where the ghost box is and I had a friend who was up there and she didn't really want to have too much inner action with anything ghostly so she was just kind of standing off to the side while people were doing their own little private investigations and stuff and she had this shawl on that she was wearing and she said something pulled that shawl off of me and she said I told it very nicely I am cold please leave my shawl alone and she said it stopped pulling it after I said that so she goes I don't know what that was but she goes it wasn't just falling off of me she goes you can tell when something is pulling and she goes something was definitely pulling on me wow you know, the, with the ghost box, you know, I, I obviously I've seen people use that as well. And one of my things that I, I'm concerned about is you you do get people's you know reaction where you know you ask a question and it says something in return that you think makes sense. But when you hear it scanning through channels and stuff, there's times that I hear things said that either an, a question wasn't asked or it says something that's totally unrelatable. Like, you know, are you here? And you hear, um, and the Yankees won, you know, or something like that. It's just like, (laughs) so you hear things that have nothing to do with the investigation. It just makes you wonder, you know, how do you decide what is legit and what isn't? Absolutely. For me, if you want to convince me with a ghost box, you say a whole line, a whole sentence, right? Boom, 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 boom. And then I will start looking at what you've got there for evidence and say, okay, maybe something did happen here. But when it's just like a word or whatever, it's the same thing with EVPs. Uh, you know, if you, you can have somebody suggest to you, we, you probably back in the day remember where they talk a lot about backmasking and like Led Zeppelin on Stairway to Heaven yeah. had this backmasking that they had going on. So if you played it backwards, it would say something. And literally I was taking this course that was talking about that and they said, okay, well, it says this. And then it changed up a few of the words. No, it actually says this. And you would hear both. So it's kind of whatever's being suggested in your brain, you hear that. And so with EVPs, a lot of the time, I wonder if it's not that you're just, you know, it's kind of a suggestion in your brain and that's so you think you're hearing that and it's not really that. But I did get an EVP once that seemed to kind of coincide with the thing that we were in that I can't explain. I was in Alton, Illinois. 
And we were, went into this building. It is now an apartment building, but it used to be a sanitarium for TB too. And it was, it's a re- relatively small building. So it was a small hospital. And underneath it, there's this tunnel and it's kind of this bricked in circular kind of tunnel that you go into. And it actually was a part of the Underground Railroad at one time because Alton, Illinois was very strong in the abolitionist movement. A lot of the abolitionist papers came out of Alton and it has a deep history with breaking free from slavery. And so this was a hub for people who were on the Underground Railroad and the Mississippi River is right there along Alton. And so it was a perfect place for them to go. And so you imagine you've got people who are down in this tunnel. It's dark, it's dank, you're terrified because you're running for your life and you've probably come from a situation that is not good. So you've got this kind of energy going on and the tour guide had taken us down there and was telling us this story and they said, you know, there's this child ghost that they think they have down there. And sometimes it will grab the hands of people. And so he's telling the story and everything. And I had my recorder on. And so later on, I went home and I was listening to some of the stuff that he was talking about. And as he's telling the story about this child, all of a sudden you hear a guttural growl. And it wasn't an animalistic. It kind of sounded like if a human being was making a growling noise. But it's clear as day on the EVP that I have. And I was like what in the world is this? Where did this come from? And it didn't pertain to the story he was telling. Cause maybe if you picked up a child saying something or, you know, something like that, but I'm like, what in the world? So I don't know what that was. There was obviously no animals with us on this tour and nobody around me was making any kind of noise like that. And since the tour guide was telling a story, you wouldn't think that there'd be somebody who'd be talking because I'd be kind of rude. So it just, I, I can't explain it. But that to me, it seemed like it was something legit that I picked up. Yeah, you know, and, and with the EVPs and things like that, uh, you mentioned about hearing uh, two different things when they played the record backwards. It's kind of like the uh, that Laurel and Yanny thing that was going around on the internet where, you know, some people heard Laurel and some people heard Yanny. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, with the EVP that you picked up that was like a growl, I mean, what kind of like, what kind of things do you conclude with that? I mean, when you hear a growl like that, that's so deep and guttural and you know nothing around you made that sound, I mean, are, what is your mind, where does your mind go with that kind of thing? Like, do you think about, okay, is this like a demonic entity or is this like a Casper the Friendly Ghost? I mean, <laughs> I mean, what do you think about that kind of thing? It's weird because the tonage of it, it didn't sound like it would be somebody who was playing around with you. Let me put it that way. So to me... I felt like it was a negative entity. And so I don't know if this is something that fed off of, because to me, I believe a lot of spiritual activity that goes on, especially if it is negative, that it feeds off of fear. It just seems like that is something that it feeds off of. And that's why, you know, children tend to have some of these experiences. Not only are they more open to it, but they're a lot more fearful about things. And so it's easier to scare them. And I think that's why sometimes you have some of these negative entities that like to go after them because they need that. It's almost like they're fuel. So I feel like since there would have been a lot of fear probably down in this tunnel system, that whatever this was, this negative entity is feeding off of whatever's down there. Because to me, it sounded like something that was being negative. Okay. Yeah. You know, when it comes to these experiences with the paranormal and stuff like that, I mean, it's really a mystery. I mean, Mm -hmm. you have a podcast where you, you know, look into the history of things and stuff like that. And we, I have a podcast here where we talk about people's experiences, but at the end of the day, it's all a mystery. 
mm-hmm. everybody acts like they they know exactly what's going on, but in reality, we have, we really don't know. Like we have no idea. We all have our own thoughts and opinions, but we really don't know. And uh, it's funny to hear some people get so uptight and angry, and they want to argue about things. It's just like, but you could be wrong. You know, mm-hmm. like you really could be wrong. And I just find it very interesting about how how people get so. So they get so involved in it, but they 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 don't realize that they could be wrong, and that's why I like the way you end your show, you know, with letting people you decide. And and I don't say it every week, but that's kind of the concept of my show too. It's like you decide. I mean, we're presenting people's experiences. I'm not telling you you have to believe everything we put on the show. I'm just saying mm-hmm. you decide. Because I really I, I don't know, and I know um, you know I'd asked you earlier when it comes to a ghost, what do you think? And I like to ask that question to people because it's not that I want you to give me the definitive answer. I just like to know what are people's theories because gun to the head for me, I don't know. I All I can tell you is the experiences that I've had that I would consider to be quote unquote supernatural are things that I can't explain with my own human brain. I can't prove it in a scientific setting. I can't have that thing repeat itself. A lot of the time experiences that I've had, it's after the fact where I go, huh, I wonder if that was something supernatural that happened. Or it could just be something really stupid. I like to use the word synchronicity a lot because it happens around me all the time. It could be you have a song in your head. I'm sure this has happened to you, Tony. You have a song that you're like singing in your head and you turn on the radio and that's the song that's playing. And you're like, how does that happen? So it's just these weird things that happen. I don't know why they happen. Is it just a coincidence? I mean, I'm one of those people, I don't believe in coincidences, but I I can't explain these things. I don't know. What is a spirit? Is it a, a human spirit from somebody who's died? Could be. Is it a demonic spirit? Could be. Is it angelic? Could be. Is it alien? I don't know. Is it a time slip? Could be. I I mean, I just, to me, all possibilities are open. The one thing I do know is that something is going on that I can't explain. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Something is going on that we can't explain. And uh, it takes people like us just to look into things and see what happens, you know? So uh, I wanted to ask you, uh, before you started the podcast and you said you were interested in paranormal and things like that, did you ever have any paranormal experiences before you started the podcast or or what were those tours before the start you started the podcast? It's interesting that you asked that because I definitely have had an uptick. And I don't know if it's because I have opened myself up to it more or if it's because I'm going into more locations that quote unquote have these haunting stories to go with them. Really, the only thing that I can say that is that happened to me before I started delving into this stuff is my sister and I were teenagers and my folks had left us at home for they went away for a weekend and so we you know teenage girls home alone let's watch scary movies so we have all the lights out in the house and we're watching this scary movie on the tv and the family room was connected to our dining area which was connected to the kitchen it was kind of an open house kind of setting different than like nowadays that's basically how they build houses is your kitchen and your family room it's like all together because that's where everybody wants to hang out as a kitchen i think they realize that so now they build houses that way so early on our house was kind of set up that way which was unique and there was like this half wall that was between the family room and the dining room and then we had your standard linoleum flooring So my sister was on the other end of the family room and I was the closest to this half wall. So we're watching this scary movie and clear as day, I hear the padding of a dog's feet and, you know, the click of the nails 
on the linoleum. And I'm like, what was that? And I heard it clear as day and I heard it a couple times. So I kind of look over at my sister to see if she might have heard what I heard too. And when I look over at her, her mouth is wide open. Her eyes are wide open. And she's looking at me like, what in the world was that? And I said, did you just hear what I heard? And she goes, was it a dog walking across the linoleum in the dining room? And I went, yep. So I'm sure we looked really comical because you got this teenage girl who's kind of half inching out of her seat to look over that half wall to see, I mean, is there a dog in the dining room? And to go along with the story, I have to tell you, we didn't own a dog, which is why we would be freaked out about it. And we (laughs) never owned a dog. This was a brand new house to my family. We watched it being built. So it's not like somebody else had lived here before. But I have no doubt that my sister and I heard a dog walking around in that dining room. I don't know where it came from, how it was there, but because we shared it, it's one of those things that I don't say I had to have imagined it. Now, is it something where teenage girls and people probably heard, you know, poltergeist activities sometimes happens, especially around teenage girls. We were watching a scary movie. Is it something that we projected? Is it something that we imagined ourselves? Again, I don't know how to explain it. I just know that that's what happened to us. And it was enough of an experience that I was even more excited about the fact that I liked this creepy ghost type stuff. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I just had something happen. Yeah, you know, and I don't personally, I don't think it's something you projected because how do two people project the same thing at the same time? Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, you've definitely, in my mind, heard something. I find it interesting though that... I've recently, when I'm talking to people about their experiences, this dog keeps popping up. And I'm not talking about the the cryptid dog man. I mean, maybe it's the same thing. I don't know. But like people are talking about how, like, I remember hearing this one guy talk about how uh, he was having marital problems. His wife and him just got done arguing. And uh, he started seeing these shapes pop up in the room. And she sees it too. And then these red eyes pop up. And then something tells him he needs to look to his left. And when he looks to his left, he sees a dog standing there. And just yesterday, I interviewed a guy who had a very similar experience with a dog in a very personal setting. And it's like this quote unquote dog entity pops up in people's experiences. And I'm like, you don't hear a a parrot popping up. You don't hear a bear popping up or a cat. It's always Uh these dogs and well, maybe sometimes cats, but it's always these dogs. And, and sometimes they have that you actually see them in glowing red eyes. And sometimes it looks just like a, a really, really big dog, but it's in your house and standing there staring at you. And I'm just like, where is this coming from? So maybe you had a very similar experience. I don't know, but it's interesting. Now you're going to get my brain going and I'm going to start looking into that stuff because I know that you hear a lot of, um, especially big black dog, you hear a lot of that stuff, especially over in Europe. They have a lot of those experiences. And now that you're saying that, that does make me wonder and you know what's fueling it, especially if it's something that's troublesome or whatever, because you can imagine two girls watching a scary movie. What kinds of emotions were we fueling inside of us that I don't know. Because to me, it was just the strangest thing. Because if we'd had a dog that, you know, had passed away in the house, well, maybe it's, you know, Sparky came back to say hi or something. Or if somebody else had lived in our house before, you'd think, well, maybe they had a dog that had passed away or something. And this is some kind of residual activity or ghostly activity. But because I, I, I was like, you know, we've never had a dog. We No dog has died in this home. So where in the hell is this coming from? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it it's very baffling when you hear these very similar experiences that people are having all over the world. And 
it's like something's connecting these, but I just can't figure out what yet, you know? And so I'm just left to wonder. I'm just left to wonder. But uh, Diane, I appreciate you coming on. Where can people find your show and contact you? Well, the name of the podcast is History Goes Bump. And if you Google that, you'll be able to find me on social media all over the place. And historygoesbump.com is the website. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate you coming on. Well, thank you for having me, Tony. I had a great time. Throughout historical lore and legend, there is one fearsome figure who looms large, in a very literal sense, in stories told by numerous cultures and peoples around the world, the giant. From biblical accounts to Native American oral tradition to children's fairy tales, stories of giants in human history have been handed down for thousands of years and across multiple countries. In the American Southwest, the Paiute tribe tells of tales of war between their people and the C.T. Ka, a race of cannibalistic, cave-dwelling, red-haired giants. In Norse mythology, the Jatun are a giant race of natural spirits with superhuman strength. The Gigantes of Greek and Roman history are strong, oversized, monstrous men, like the Cyclops, who were descended from the gods. The Christian Bible features not only the famous story of David versus the giant Goliath, but numerous tribes of giants, some strangely marked by six fingers on one hand and six toes on each foot. There is even the aptly titled Book of Giants, a fragmented, apocryphal text found among the Dead Sea Scrolls that depicts the birth of giants called the Nephilim into the pre-flood world when the sons of God impregnated the daughters of men. All of these cultural accounts, and there are so many more that can be referenced, bear their own unique narrative elements but there is one constant that connects them all, the evident and universal existence of the giant. Fortunately for puny humans everywhere, these accounts of huge fearsome beings stalking the earth have faded into legend, turning the existence of the giant into nothing more than a bedtime story, haven't they? Modern day giant sightings. Not exactly, although giants no longer feature prominently in the makeup of the modern world stories of real live giants have not altogether stopped. While present-day encounters of the strange and supernatural seem to largely consist of UFOs and paranormal activity, sightings of giant humanoids, though more rare, are no less significant. Below is a small collection of these possible giant sightings from the 20th and 21st centuries. The Royal Commentaries of the Incas, quote, when these great men or giants had thus made their settlement and dug these walls or cisterns, they destroyed and ate all the supplies they could find in the neighborhood. It is said that one of them ate more than 50 of the natives of the land. During the bloody battle of Guadalcanal in World War II, Japanese soldiers reported terrifying run-ins with 10 to 15 foot tall hominids in the Solomon Islands. While these giants were, and still are, common knowledge to the local inhabitants, the soldiers found them quite aggressive, some brandishing clubs and also resistant to bullets. In 2015, a mountain rescue team claimed to see eight-foot-tall beings climbing the Popocatepetl volcano in Mexico. According to the team, the unidentified creatures mounted the glacier at an inhuman speed, covering a large area which the team had taken three to four hours to traverse in only ten minutes. The elusive 7 to 10 foot tall hairy cryptid known as Bigfoot is still sighted regularly around the world in its various guises. Bigfoot, Yeti, Yowie, Sasquatch, 
the list of names and sighting goes on. The most famous sighting propelling Bigfoot into popular culture is, of course, the Patterson-Gimlin film, taken in 1967, but records of encounters go back through at least the 1800s. Some believers theorize Bigfoot is a form of Nephilim, like the giants of old. Perhaps the most infamous encounter of the modern age is the story of the giant of Kandahar. According to reports in 2002, a U.S. Army squad went missing in the desert of Afghanistan, and a special ops task force was sent to locate them. After traveling along remote mountains and terrain, the task force came upon a large cave entrance strewn with broken military equipment. Before the soldiers could enter the cave, they were attacked by the cave's single inhabitant, the giant of Kandahar. Per eyewitness testimony, the giant stood 12 to 15 feet tall, sported red hair and a red beard, and had six fingers on each hand. He also carried an enormous spear that he used to impale one of the task force members before the rest of the team opened fire. The giant was allegedly so large and strong that it took 30 solid seconds of the task force shooting him in the face to finally bring him down. Following the mayhem, the giant's body was removed by helicopter to an undisclosed U.S. base. The surreal encounter came to light in 2016, 14 years after the incident, when author and filmmaker L.A. Marzulli interviewed an unidentified member of the Special Ops Force on his YouTube series, Watchers. According to this eyewitness, known only as the shooter, their clash with the Kandahar giant is classified, the task force cannot discuss details, and the U.S. government has no plans to ever reveal that it occurred. Despite the forced secrecy, the story of the giant of Kandahar managed to surface and to raise many questions, not only about the possibility of giants, but about how their existence may be being covered up. A giant cover-up? One such hypothetical cover-up may have happened as recently as 2017 in another U.S. military-related mission. Since then, several whistleblowers have purportedly come forward to disclose that the massive Moab bomb dropped in ISIS territory on April 13, 2017 was used with an ulterior motive, to kill giants. If the claim of the unnamed whistleblowers is accurate, then ISIS terrorists may have been only one of the targets the Moab bomb was intended to take out, or even a convenient cover story for eliminating a giant threat, literally, that the deep state of the government wanted to keep secret. When the 21,600-pound explosive was dropped over the Nangahar province in Afghanistan, it was believed to have killed 94 ISIS fighters living in a cave complex. But is it possible it killed something else that lived in the caves? Though most will consider a story to be pure conspiracy theory, another giant urban legend, there are small but curious details that connect this theory with the account of the Kandahar giant. Another curious detail is the name of the bomb itself, MOAB, an acronym for both the bomb's official title, Massive Ordnance Air Blast Bomb, and its unofficial moniker, Mother of All Bombs, is a biblical reference with a connection to Old Testament Nephilim. In Deuteronomy, the tribe of Moab battled a race of giants, one of several giant races that they called Emim. The Moabites emerged victorious, destroying the Emim giants and settling in the land they inhabited. In Deuteronomy, the tribe of Moab battled a race of giants, one of several giant races that they called Emim. The Moabites emerged victorious, destroying the Emim giants and settling in the land that they had inhabited. Deuteronomy 2, 10-12 in KJV. The Emim had dwelt there in past times, a people as great and numerous and as tall as the Anakim. They were also regarded as giants like the Anakim, but the Moabites called them Emim. The Horites formerly dwelt in Seir, but the descendants of Esau, the Moabites, dispossessed them and destroyed them from before them and dwelt in their place, just as Israel 
did to the land of their possession, which the Lord gave them. Is it only coincidence that a bomb allegedly used to destroy modern-day giants bears the same name as a race of ancient giant killers? Or was Moab, quote-unquote, carefully chosen to repeat biblical history when it was dropped over Afghanistan? Since the deep state, quote-unquote, of the government is not exactly forthcoming, the Moab cover-up story leaves us again with more questions and no true answers. Are giants really living in our modern world? Even more specifically, if we use the stories of the Kandahar giant and the Moab bomb as guides, could we find them in the mountains of Afghanistan? A contact shares knowledge of giants in Afghanistan. A few months ago, the Confessionals was contacted by a soldier stationed at the Logar province of Afghanistan. He shared some intriguing information he discovered while interacting with locals at a bazaar near his base. Though the information is limited, it corroborates other accounts of giants hidden in Afghanistan mountains. The following exclusive details are what he had been able to learn and relay back to us. While at the base market, over the course of several visits, our contact directly asked a few locals what they knew about giants living in the mountains. When he described a giant as a really, really tall person, he was met with confirmation of their existence and was informed multiple times that everyone, quote, stays the hell away from them, unquote. The locals revealed that a tribe of these really, really tall persons is living in the mountains of Afghanistan-Chinese border on the Afghan side. One resident even pointed clearly to the location on a map. Since the border between China and Afghanistan is only 47 miles long, this is actually a considerably specific piece of information. Though the locals confirm the existence of the giant's whereabouts, they don't appear to possess abundant knowledge about them, but are also extremely reluctant to discuss them beyond their location and their repeated warnings to stay away from them. The soldier states that the residents spoke passable English until the subject of giants was approached, after which their language skills suddenly broke off. Oddly, though, Despite their resistance to discuss the giants, some locals did mention that these beings did not sleep lying down position, but rather in more of a sitting position. How they were aware of this detail or why they divulged it is unknown to us. During correspondence with our source, we inquired about the rules that are in place for traveling through the Wakhan Corridor Nature Refuge, which is a strip of territory in Afghanistan that stretches into China. The source suggested that it is probably not a safe place to venture, as the Taliban controls over half of Afghanistan. He also found that the local bazaar is the only safe place he can interact with the Afghan people. Less than a week after this interchange, our source got in touch to say that he had come across one of his own local contacts during another visit in the market and asked him about the Wakhan Corridor Nature Refuge. That contact reported that although the Taliban does not control that specific area, it is still completely unsafe for a number of reasons. One, there are border tensions. Two, there is no infrastructure out there. Three, the wildlife is dangerous. Four, the terrain is very rough and mountainous. And finally, five, quote, there is that tribe of giants, unquote. The advice given by our contact's contact was to avoid the Wakan Corridor Nature Refuge at all costs. Excerpt from Manly P. Hall's lecture, quote, Atlantis and the Gods of Antiquity. We are told that in the year 820 AD, way back in the days of the glory of Baghdad, the great sultan, the follower, and descendant of the great El Rashid of Arabian Nights, the Sultan El Rashid Al Mamun, decided to open the Great Pyramid. He had been told that it had been built by giants who were called the Shaddai, superhuman beings and that within that pyramid and those pyramids, they had stored a great treasure beyond the knowledge of man. 
As stated above, these details may be limited in quantity, but they are significant in what they succeed in revealing. While our Afghanistan contact may not have seen giants with his own eyes, it's apparent from the information he shared that Afghan locals keenly believe in their existence. Have some of them even glimpsed a giant somewhere themselves? Also, a compelling piece of information is the specific area along the Afghan-Chinese border that they named as the Giant's Habitat. Though a mountainous 47-mile strip of land may not seem like an exact location, it's a markedly precise one when compared to the rest of the country's size. Afghanistan itself covers an area of 252,072 square miles and borders six countries. The border it shares with Pakistan, its longest border, is 1,510 miles long. In contrast, the 47 miles of border Afghanistan shares with China, its shortest, suddenly becomes incredibly small. Interestingly, the Logar province, from which this information comes, is actually hundreds of miles from the reported location of the giants along the Chinese border. And yet, the threat they pose seems great enough that the locals repeatedly and adamantly warn against encountering them. We can only wonder what more these tight-lipped locals really know and why they are so reluctant to reveal that knowledge. The giant followed, and now the whole beanstalk shook and shuddered with his weight, and Jack feared for his life, Jack and the beanstalk. Much like the story of the Kandahar giant and the Moab bomb cover-up, we are still left with more questions than answers. What are those so-called giants? Which accounts are true and which are purely lore? Are old legend giants really living in the modern-day world? Though the stories, histories, and testimony we've addressed may not be conclusive proof, they seem to point to the existence of giants as less legend and more real than many regular-sized humans may like to believe. For further insight into giants, Nephilim, and their origins, take a listen to the Confessionals Episode 4, Nephilim, Then and Now, Episode 18, L.A. Marzuli, UFOs and Nephilim Giants, and Episode 42, The Genesis 6 Conspiracy, with Gary Wayne. Written by Lindsay Merkel. A blog of the Confessionals Podcast. For more intriguing blogs, visit theconfessionalspodcast.com. Okay, well, I figured I'd play that for you guys. That is actually a blog post from the confessionalspodcast.com. It is called Our Old Legend Giants Living in the Modern Day World. It is a blog that my wife wrote, and she did a great job on it. She did a great job researching. I helped her with a little bit of information and things like that, but she really took the reins on it and did a great job. And so David Halevi from the Jew and Gentile Radio Podcast, he read that blog and he thought it was a fantastic blog and it would sound great on audio. So he took the initiative to actually record his vocals reading the blog and I thought it turned out great. So David, thank you very much. Lindsay, thank you very much. You guys did a great job and I I couldn't have done it like that. So you guys are awesome. Thank you very, very much. Now let's get into David this week. David, the other David. <laughs> uh, so let's bring on David and talk to David about his hat man and angelic experience. David, how you doing, man? I'm good. Good, man. So uh, I got the chance to talk to you a little bit before we kicked off the interview here. And it turns out you actually are a little bit of an NBA fan because you're talking some game here. And I'm like, okay, this guy can hold a conversation about NBA, which is pretty cool. Because uh, if anybody doesn't know, 
if it's not about this show and paranormal stuff, I love the NBA. So it was kind of cool to have a conversation about Kobe Bryant and hating the Lakers. And well, you like the Lakers, but I hate that team. So, <laughs> but uh, we're That's here. All right. Yeah, we're here tonight to talk to you about some experiences that you've had. And, uh, you know, you've had some experiences leading up to this main experience with uh, what we want to say is pretty much a hat man. So uh, why don't you just kind of draw the picture out for us as to, you know, some of the experiences you had leading up to this main experience you had with the hat man. So I moved into this house. It was uh, it's a farmhouse on, I want to say about 500 acres. And when we first moved in, it was like January of 08, I believe. The first night I moved in there, the attic door opened on its own, which I'm not quite sure how that happened, but I just chalked it up to it's an old house and maybe somebody walked wrong and opened the door. That was the first experience I had there. And then I want to say it would have been a year later, year and a half later. I had got home from work and nobody else was home. And I feel like the, the stairs to the second floor, there was a door that was closed that, that we can close so that like we had dogs and they, uh, we closed it so they wouldn't go upstairs. Well, it was closed when I got home and I was the only one home and it sounded like footsteps were coming down the steps or going up the steps. So I just kind of sat there and didn't really do too much until I think my brother had gotten home from school or something like that. And then I ended up going upstairs and when I finally opened the door, there was a bowling ball sitting at the bottom of the steps. But it's like, I don't, I mean, it's a 15 pound bowling ball and it didn't sound like a, how a bowling ball would sound if it was going down steps. It was more like, it was more like actual, like work boots coming down steps, I guess you would say. And then, uh, it was, uh, my one dog went down in the basement and there was something down there that scared him. I wasn't, I actually didn't go down there. Um, and he came booking up the steps and wouldn't go down in the basement for the eight years that we lived there after that. And then, uh, so now with this hat man experience, I guess you would call it. It was, uh, it was a real normal day. There was nothing unusual that happened. There's no weird stuff. It was a sunny day, normal. The, uh, I had went to bed and I didn't watch any like scary movies or anything like that. I went to bed. I can't tell you what time I had woken up, but I know it was late. And I woke up from probably a nightmare or something. It's one of them ones where you just wake up as quick as possible. And I saw this figure standing at the end of my bed, but it, it was dark in the room but the figure itself 
was like lighter than the darkness so that you could see the figure of it. And you could tell that it had a, a hat on like a, I don't know if it was almost like a farmer's hat. It wasn't quite like a top hat. And then it had the, it almost had like a popped collar. I guess you would call it, I guess you would say. Um, but it was, it was weird how you were able to see it in such a dark room. I mean, it almost, when I listened to your one episode with that guy who was, oh, what was it? He, his, he, him and his girlfriend had moved into a house and he saw that demon oh, in the yeah. shadows. Like when I heard him explain that, that's exactly how I like pictured it in my head from what I saw. Now, I came to find out that that house actually had burned down before and that there's actually a graveyard on that property. Now, the graveyard is all in German, and it looked like it was a bunch of younger kids. So I don't know if, like, I don't know if it's, if the hat man had something to, like, to do with that, with the fire at the house before it was rebuilt. Um, I know I had, I don't know if I told you, but I talked to my sister-in-law who lived there. And she actually saw the figure three times. I believe it was three times. And she she seemed to think that it was a farmer that used to live there. But I don't I don't exactly see how uh a farm a farmer kind of be that terrifying, I guess. Because when I, I mean, it, I, like when I woke up from whatever the dream or whatever had happened, it terrified me so much that you know how like this is gonna sound childish, but like when you're scared, you go under the covers because you think it's a safest spot. Right. Like that's what I did. <laughs> Which is it's kind of amusing to the the story itself, but. That's exactly what I did when after I saw it, and when I finally, I guess, worked up the courage to check it, they, he, she, whatever you want to call it, wasn't there anymore. How long was it that it, that you saw this thing before you hit under covers? Um, it was probably a good fifteen seconds. Okay. So I mean, I got it a pretty decent look at it. I mean, it's, there wasn't much detail to it, just enough that you can see, like it was wearing some sort of trench coat and it had the infamous hat. Right. And that, and that's the thing. I mean, with the whole hat man thing, the very common thing is the hat and the trench coat. And on episode three, I had my wife on and she shared her experience with a hat man very similar thing. He was wearing more Victorian clothing and it was just a shadow man with a, with a top hat and popped collar trench coat. That's a very common thing. And that's what you just described. Uh, where, where did this happen in Pennsylvania? Roughly. Um, Mount Wolf area. So like there's a park, it's John Rudy park. 
it's like right around the corner from there. Or if you're familiar with the Seven Gates of Hell, it's about a mile south of there. Okay. That's interesting stuff, man. Uh, when you saw this this figure, you know, in your room, and that you described that fear that came over you, do you think that fear that you had was anything extra than you would have if somebody broke into your house? So, like, say somebody broke into your house and they're standing at the bottom of your bed. The fear that you would have had in that kind of situation, do you think that it's different than what you had? when you saw this hat man, or do you think it's a very similar type of fear? Um, I would say it was different. Like it was more terrifying because it wasn't an actual physical being. And you could tell that, was, right? Like, I mean, when you were, when you were looking yeah. at this thing, you could tell this wasn't just somebody yeah, standing in your room. You could see through it. Gotcha. But not like completely through it. Plus, the the driveway is a half a mile long. So if anyone would have came, it would have been it would have been odd to have somebody because it would have been on the second floor, and we had two dogs that would have alarmed us if if somebody had broken into the house. Yeah, that makes sense. So I would have been I would have actually been awake before a figure would have been in my a person would have been in my room right unless you got one of those rare ninjas out there (laughs) um so (laughs) you know uh you mentioned about the graveyard now could you clear this up for me a little bit are you saying that the house was had burned down and was rebuilt on a graveyard or or how did that whole thing work? Um, no that the house was burned down in i want to say it was the 1800s there was some sort of house fire and they ended up rebuilding it. But the, the graveyard is actually probably football field and a half away from the house. So still relatively close, but far enough away. I mean, I'm sure that, I mean, the gravestones were all in German. So, and I think they were dated for, I can't remember it. It was 17, 1800s. And they were, a lot of them were kids. So I don't know. If, I don't know if they were died from like diseases from back then. Cause it's all in German. I don't speak German. Yeah. Me neither. Uh, the only thing German about me is my last name, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, that's interesting, man. I mean, the fact that there's a graveyard that close now, obviously, there's graveyards everywhere, and people live across the street from graveyards and things like that. But you hear people tell stories of when they're living in a certain house that was across the street from a graveyard or something like that. They had this kind of activity, and I I often wonder, you know, is it because of the graveyard and the death that is associated with that that these entities pop up in people's homes, or if it, is it something totally unrelated? I don't know, but it's definitely a fascinating. Uh, perspective of the story you know it's a different twist to the story where it's like there is a graveyard not far from there uh and would you describe this guy that i i know he was see-through and you didn't see a great detail and stuff but could you tell the kind of type era clothing that he was wearing was it like 
you know, 17, 1800s type of clothing, or was it more like the, uh, the undertaker from the WWE kind of trench coat? You know, it's funny you say that. Cause that's kind of like, now that you say the undertaker is kind of like what I'm getting, but I honestly couldn't tell the actual type of clothing is too, it was too much of a shadow to fully de- decipher what kind of clothing they had on. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, you're talking about something that was like a long, like, I think they call it a duster or something like that, where it like goes down to the ankles kind of thing. Like it's just this long blazer. Yeah. Gotcha. That's terrifying in itself. Like, I mean, think about it. When you have somebody walking down the street in one of those those coats, and they typically, you know, they, they just it just looks scary. You know, <laughs> so uh, I yeah. can't I can't imagine having something like that standing over my bed, uh, looking at me. It, now, I've I've heard different you know ideas and theories as to what the Hat Man is and things like that. Uh, have you ever looked into this whole topic of the hat man since that experience, or is this just an experience you had and you really haven't really looked into it a whole lot as to trying to find answers as to what you saw? Yeah, I didn't really look into it. Um, I honestly didn't even know about hat man until I heard your wife's episode and I was like, it it clicked then. I'm like, well, that's exactly what I saw. So then like after that, it was just odds and ends. Like, stuff on Reddit I've seen about Batman and they say it's more like, it just seems like it's more terrifying and not really uh, like human spirit from what I was getting from it basically. Yeah. I, I've heard similar things, you know, that when you encounter a hat man, it's either an incredibly terrifying experience or it's a relatively peaceful experience where it's just really pretty peaceful. There's not really middle ground with it, uh, which I find interesting. I also find interesting that Hatman typically appears and shows itself to children, not all the time, obviously not all the time. In your case, it, it didn't happen that way, but a lot of times it does. And now that I'm thinking about it, you did say that that graveyard had a lot of children buried in it. I wonder if there's a connection to that or something like that. I mean, if the hat man, yeah, if the hat man's showing itself to a lot of kids, and then there's a graveyard not far from the house that has a lot of kids uh, buried in it, I wonder if there's some kind of connection there. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go as far to say that the hat man is some kind of like um, overseer of children, you know, <laughs> because if that was the case, why does it scare the kids so much? Uh, but it's an interesting little. I wouldn't even say it's connected, but it maybe maybe it has some kind of a connection to it. I don't know. I just thought of it now. Uh, I'm sure there's probably some sort of connection. I mean, if I remember correctly, there was about 20 tombstones there. And I would say at least half of them were kids. Some of them were unreadable. So I can't... I'm sure there's some sort of connection with the history of the property. Yeah. uh, And that's probably a safe thing to say about the history of the property. Cause I mean, really a lot of times there is, there is a history of a property that's being haunted. Uh, not always, but a lot of times, uh, when you, when you first went, moved into this house and you started experiencing different things, you mentioned about hearing the footsteps going down the stairs and then you saw a bowling ball at the bottom of the stairs. Uh, I think I, I, I recall that correctly. 
And you said yep. that the, it didn't sound like a bowling ball. It sounded like somebody wearing work boots going down the stairs. Now, if you think about it, there's a, that's a distinct different sound as to somebody walking down stairs. Let's just, were they wooden stairs? Yes. And they had carpet over it, but it was like, I would call it cheap carpeting because it wasn't really much padding there. It was okay. more like carpet there so you wouldn't slip and fall down steps. Gotcha. So we have carpeting on stairs. Uh, that in itself, I mean, you would definitely, 100%, in my mind, be able to tell the difference between a bowling ball, because the bowling ball is not going to pace itself going downstairs. You know, like once that ball no. gets rolling, 15-pound ball, that thing's going to drop. It's going to be like, don't, 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 don't. And it's a different sound than somebody going step by step by step by step. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which is what I was trying to get at because I saw the bowling ball down at the bottom landing area, and I was thinking, well, if it was a if it's a fifteen pound bowling ball, it's not going to actually hit each step. It'll hit like the first couple, and then it'll get some momentum going and skip a few steps. And the actual footsteps sounded like somebody going each step by step by step by step. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's definitely. I, I just think that you could definitely tell the difference between the two, and uh, so it's interesting though. Now that bowling ball, I'm assuming you, it was your bowling ball though. You knew where it came from at least, right? Yeah, I think it was. It's either mine or my brother's, but yeah, it was. There's no reason that it would have been at the top of the steps that it would have rolled down for some weird reason. Yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to make sure that that wasn't a bowling ball that just kind of popped out of nowhere. You're like, whose bowling ball is this? <laughs> you know? No. Nope. Nope. That's definitely interesting, man. So when you saw this hat, man, uh, you, you could see through it. So you really couldn't see a face or anything like that, right? Nope. No face. I didn't notice. I didn't see any eyes, which I kind of thought maybe it was facing away from the bed. But. I don't think I would have been as terrified as I was if it was facing away from the bed. If it was facing away from the bed, you wouldn't have been as terrified. That's understandable. I mean, yeah. like, you know, I'd rather not look down the face of a, a entity yeah. like that. Yeah. You know, so, but all right, man. Well, that's very interesting. And uh, if you, if you could for us go into uh, some of this other story, part of the story where uh, I guess, I'm going to butcher it by trying to introduce it, but uh, there, there's an angelic sighting that happened within your family and many people saw it. So just go into it from there. So it was up at Hershey Medical. My my cousin, who would have been roughly two at the time, which would have made me I probably four or five. So I, I don't really remember it. It was, this is, all information from my grandmother and my one aunt who my aunt vividly remembers it. But I didn't get to really talk to her about it. It was, um, he, he was diagnosed at two years old with, uh, inoperable brain tumor. And they were trying everything they could to actually remove the brain tumor with, uh, radiation and chemo and all that stuff. So, I want to say they were at in like the like 
dining area or just outside the, they were in like a waiting room or something like that. And they had this doctor come up to them and say, everything's going to be all right. And asked if he could pray with them. So they said the prayer. And when they looked up after praying, he was gone. Just no idea where he went. They, uh, my grandmother and I believe my aunt tried to actually look for this doctor to thank him because my cousin ended up getting the cancer cured and lived for another, I think it was like 11 or 12 years. But I know when they said that this doctor approached them, he had this glowing like aura around him that made him seem, I don't know, I guess friendly and inviting, which is why I assume they said that it would be all right to, that they prayed because before that, before then they weren't, I'd say as into religion as they are now. So that's basically that story. I mean, they never found the doctor that I, I don't remember what his name was. Uh, they tried looking for him and whatever that name that they were given, this guy, this name was not in the, the, the Hershey medical system at all for any any position. But the weirdest part was he just kind of disappeared before they finished praying. Yeah, that, that's definitely <laughs> that's definitely odd. I mean, when you're praying for, with somebody and they're gone before you, you're done praying. I mean, <laughs> so yeah. uh, uh, how many people roughly saw this, though, were, were witness to this? I mean, it would have been... My grandmother, grandfather, my mother. I don't know if my dad was up there. Me, my brother, which he would have been some infant. Uh, three of my aunts. So it was, I mean, it was a good bit of people. I'd say probably, it probably would have been 10 just in my family. And I don't know if anyone else at the actual hospital there had seen it either. Because like I said, I was only four or five when this incident happened. Well, that's plenty enough people then to lay witness to something incredible like that. Uh, You know, you you hear stories about that kind of stuff, man. I mean, people, you know, somebody comes across their path and warns them not to do something or there's danger ahead. And okay, thanks. You turn around and the person's gone kind of thing, you know. Uh, yeah, you hear those kind of things all the time. And is it a guardian angel? What is it? I don't know. I don't know, but it's definitely, uh, it's definitely interesting. And, uh, you know, it's just, I I just feel like there's so many, so much mystery in this world, let alone this universe, you know, and we can't explain everything. Uh, but, and this doesn't has anything to do with angels other than the fact that you don't see what what happened, but I just saw online today a video of these cars mysteriously having accidents and you see it like the CCTV 
captures these cars like going into an intersection and they just it looks like they hit a brick wall like it, it looks like they had an accident they hit another car but there was no car in the intersection it was just this car driving through and all of a sudden bang and it's just like what is that you know is it edited video i don't know but uh you know it, it's just weird and and it reminds me of another time where i saw a video and I, you might have seen this too it was pretty a popular video back in the day uh of this person was crossing the street and there was a car coming down the street and it was going to hit this person and all of a sudden you just see this like flash and somebody like something ran out in the road and like it was almost like it was teleporting, it like teleported into the road and teleported this person to the other side of the road without getting hit by the car. And then you actually see this person, you know, they they stop and there's two people there. And then the other the person that did the teleporting thing, you see the person just kind of walking off screen. Like it's just like they're gone. They just left. And it's like if that's a real video, it's like I don't know what else that could be other than the guardian angel, you know what I mean? Yeah, I saw that video, and it was almost like, and the person almost seemed like they were a little confused to what happened, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah, it definitely seemed like they were confused. I think I would be confused. Holy crap, you know, like what what just yeah, happened? Really? You know? uh, if if anybody knows who that person is, I would love to talk to him. You know, <laughs> just putting it out there, I'd love to have them on for an interview. But um, and then like. So, like, another thing to add to the story, which it's not really weird, but so, like, when my my grandfather had passed away, and this was, like, years after um, this angel incident, but my grandmother had then married another man who was a Christian, and he kind of started doing, like, Bible studies with all of us younger kids. And my cousin, who was the one who had the, the cancer, was the one that actually pushed for all of these, all of the, to have Bible studies. So I don't know if maybe this angel was sent from, this person, the angel was sent from God to have my cousin push us, push for these Bible studies to try and have, to get us all of his cousins saved because I know I actually committed my life to Christ from him pushing for these Bible studies. So I don't know if, if it had, if the, if the bigger picture was something like that. Well, you know, it definitely could be. I mean, you, you never know how things are going to work out in the end. And, uh, when you have, when, when, you know, obviously I'm a Christian and when you have an omnipotent being that is, in control of the entire universe, you really can't dictate or understand why or how things are done. You know, it just, it kind of works out. Uh, yeah. You know what I mean though? Like, like so many times we don't understand why things happen to us or why things happen to certain people and things like that. And, and it's just like, we're, we're not in control of what goes on around us. You know what I mean? And that's a prime example of it where maybe, you know, certain things were set into place for a certain result down the road, you know? Yeah. And I mean, it would have been what, 12, 13 years after it's first, after the first incident happened. So it's, it's tough to say, but it's one thing that has crossed my mind since like looking back at it and thinking about everything that happened 
kind of just reflecting on the whole thing. It's definitely interesting, man. So, uh, you know, with these experiences you've had, uh, and especially the hat man, let me ask you, you know, what do you think the hat man is? Do you think it's some kind of like ghost demonic thing? Do you think it's a, some kind of weird spirit that it, uh, that was a person at one time in the past and now they kind of roam the earth visiting people? What do you think? It's almost, I, I would have to say it. I don't, I don't know. It's tough to say. It's real tough to say what it could be. But if it was just a spirit, like a human spirit, I don't see getting terrified as much as I did from that experience if it was just a human spirit. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Yeah, you don't think it's a human spirit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, basically. Gotcha. But just taking, almost taking the form of a human spirit, but you, I mean, you know when something's not because it causes that terror in you that it's hard to explain. Sure. Yeah, I understand that, man. It, it's, I mean, none of us really know what this stuff is. You know what I mean? Like, we all have our ideas and thoughts, but, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know what ghosts are. I don't know what th- this stuff is. I, I have my own ideas and stuff like that, but, you know, it's just a shot in the dark like anybody else's opinions. So that's why I really enjoy doing the show because it just allows me to, explore other people's opinions and thoughts. And, you know, we kind of are putting together an art, an archive of, you know, people's encounters and stories of what happened to them so that, you know, maybe down the road we're, you know, two, three, 400 episodes into the show, maybe, you know, we could start, you know, trying to connect some dots eventually and try to figure out some of these mysteries that everybody's been experiencing, you know? Yep. That's, that, that would be the ideal thing. But hopefully it doesn't happen before episode 400 because I like doing the show. I don't want to solve all the all the mysteries of the universe too fast. <laughs> Just fast enough. Just fast enough. That's right. That's right. Well, I'll tell you what, David. I really enjoyed talking to you tonight, man. I appreciate you coming on. So uh, definitely keep in touch with me and let me know if anything else ever happens to you, man. Are you still in that house, by the way? Uh, no, I actually moved to Red Lion. Okay, I'm very familiar with Red Lion. About... Well, I've been at this house for two and a half years. Okay. But that, yeah, that, the hat man incident was the last real thing that happened to me at that house. There was, I don't, I don't really want to bring it up, but like, have you, you know who Zach Baggins is? Yeah. Like, yeah. So like his movie, Demon House. Uh huh. I, I don't know if you've seen it or heard about it. And I don't know how much of it's to believe and whatnot, but I actually watched it. Oh, it was probably a week and a half ago. And then but that was right when I got home at four o'clock. So there's plenty of time before from the time the movie ended till the time I went to bed that it wasn't fresh in my mind when I went to sleep. But I woke up in the middle of the not middle of the night. It was close to three o'clock. And it, like, in my dream that I had, I wasn't going to tell you this until I heard your episode today talking about the dreams. Um, this, in my dream, some, somehow it was about exorcism or something or another. 
And the person looked at me and I woke up and I felt that stare even after I was awake. I don't know. It's kind of hard to, I didn't open my eyes either. I had woken up with my eyes still shut and I felt like something was staring at me, which is extremely weird. Yes. I haven't had any prior, like I haven't had any experiences in this house. So, I mean, it's, I mean, you take it how you want. I know I ended up praying for an hour and a half before I actually ended up falling back to sleep because I was wide awake when I woke up and felt, I mean, you, you can tell when somebody's staring at you, you can feel it. And that's how it was when I woke up. I felt like something was staring at me. Hmm. Do you think that there could have been anything to do with the, the fact that you knew you were coming on the show soon and it was like, like things were fresh in your mind? I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, maybe, but I wasn't even really thinking about the show that much. And like, even like, I know people say like you watch a scary movie, you have nightmares and you kind of, but I had watched that movie and then I watched like the Avengers or something like that after it. So it wasn't like that was fresh in my mind, but it was, it was really interesting to experience that. Yeah. That, I mean, it's a random thing, but you know, putting it back to other things that you've experienced in the past, at least it's not a foreign thing to you. Uh, but that's the only thing that you've really ever experienced with, you know, this new house, right? Yeah. Well, sort of. I mean, I hate to keep going on and on, but there was a time where we were about falling asleep and I heard scratching at my closet door. Well, that's weird. Which, I mean, I have a cat and I have three dogs, but the dogs were downstairs in the kitchen in the crate and the cat's locked in the bathroom. <laughs> so that was really weird to have that. And it only ever happens like, it only ever happens when I don't pray at night before I fall, before I go to sleep. Cause you know how it is when you work and you get tired sometimes and you don't pray. And it's, that's the only time that it's happened is when I don't pray before bed. So very weird. I can't explain where the scratching came from. We don't have rodents. We don't have squirrels, birds. Like, well, I don't have birds in my house. So I, I have no idea where it came from. Uh, Well, I don't know, but it's weird. <laughs> You got that right. Yeah, man. Well, I'll tell you what, man. I really appreciate you coming on and sharing some of these stories and stuff. And like I said before, if you ever ever have anything else you'd like to share, feel free to get a hold of me, brother. Yeah, it was it was great talking. Well, that's the show, everybody. I really hope you enjoyed it. And if you did enjoy it, there are three things you can do to help support the show. One, go to iTunes and leave a five-star rating and review. Two, go to patreon.com forward slash the confessionals. That's patreon.com forward slash the confessionals and sign up to become a patron to help support the show. And three, you can go ahead and share the link to the show that you're listening to right now around social media. That will help expose the show to an audience that didn't know about the show beforehand. And until next week, friends, stay safe, take care, and remember, the truth will set you free, but first it will piss you off. Bye.
2015, thought I had it all. Watch it all slow down just overnight. Never forget about the younger life. Wrong decisions led to sacrifice. A blessing in disguise got me working overtime. Now I'm on top like LeBron. I'm ripping, I'm ripping the beats. I'm becoming the beats, and they smelling defeat when they come for me. Everyone looking around and they wondering how did these blessings all come to me? Started recording in bedrooms and now I've been turning my name to a company. They copying all of my moves, they think I'ma lose. I think it's a compliment. I- I'm never gonna settle, I always want more. I'm counting accomplishments. They making up lies, they jealous inside, but work is what got me in. There's no time to waste, I'm busy like 24 hours a day. Responding to every fan, I'm talking to people from all over every continent. I'm feeling the weight of the world and the pressure been building I'm ready to feel in my destiny, everything's set for me No one was meant to be praying for my enemies Cause I've been growing, I've never been slowing I live in a moment, I've been in control and I'm ready for more And I'm taking it all and I'm never gonna fall Cause I know I want the world, yeah I want the world Yeah I want it all, said I want the world Yeah I want the world, I'm coming to get it Don't care what you heard, don't care what you heard I'm taking it all cause I want the world Yeah I want the world, yeah I want the world a million cash so I can get back to people who pay me their time They tell me that time equals money so I keep on saving and I'll never run out of mind I'm doing what I gotta do when I fell in love with a chase now Every day I wake up with a couple thousand plays but I won't get carried away Till I'm performing in every state I'm moving up the ladder no shortcuts Everybody want a PJ or a tour bus but I'm too busy working on my next drop Trying to be an icon like I'm on a desktop I feel like a king but I work like a sweatshop Ain't nobody doing what I'm doing cause I'm next up Driven by all the anxiety everyone trying me I got no time to just rest up and I've been moving up finally Everyone been trying to find me They looking for secrets, nobody sees The work that I'm doing so quietly Focused on being consistent Pleasing my parents, my mission Know that I'll never be missing I don't need any permission Everybody knows that I want the world Yeah, I want the world Yeah, I want it all Said I want the world